Amen. Thank you for preparing that to minister to our hearts. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to pass around this clipboard as, as you're turning there. I'm going to start it, and I think we're going to start in the back with Brother Weaver. He'll come up to the front, then it'll go across to Duran. Maybe you'll grab it next, kind of go back, then it'll go to the sound booth, up, and so on. Thank you. So if you would, if you're 55 and older and you would like to come to the fellowship dinner Friday, we'd love to have you. Please let us know that. We want to know if this is uh, just a crazy harebrained idea of mine or if it'd be a blessing to you. We definitely would love, Pastor Bill and I will be there and our wives, we'd love to, if nothing else, have a meal with you. So if you allow us that privilege, we'd love to have it. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're in week number eight of our revival has been a blessing to me. I pray that maybe it's met some need in your heart as well, and that you've been obedient to whatever the Lord has told you. As we're turning to Hebrews chapter 10, I do want to remind you, this may be the last week I ask you this uh, for a little while. We have a, an opening, actually we have a brand new opening, brand new wide open door at Legacy Village to start a seniors ministry there that has been going, um, been held up by some faithful people for the past, which is not possible anymore. And there's an opportunity for us to step in and do this. Um, I personally, I, I don't want to see this ministry die. It is, honestly, seniors ministry is, in, in, the, in the homes, is a boots on the ground ministry. It's needed. It's a self-sacrificing ministry. Um, and I'm not here to guilt you into it. I'm just telling you, um, we may just have to shut it down if we don't get some volunteers. So I'm asking you to pray about this. I've had uh, uh, one other family, the Allen family, and uh, myself and my family volunteer um, to do this. We are looking for two other families or groups of individuals, however you'd like to do that. Just and it Really, you can read in your bulletin what exactly it entails. Right inside, we have ministry opportunities there. You can, you can check those out later on and see if God would have you to do this. Listen, I'm not trying to keep ministries going at our church that God hasn't uh, burdened you for, and I'm not trying to make you so busy at the church that you can't do anything else. Um, although I will say this, serving the Lord and ministering is just the natural outflow of our Christianity. And so you want to make sure as you examine yourself that you are doing that. God has given you a gift when he saved you, assuming he saved you. I can't speak for that, only you can. Assuming he saved you, he gave you a spiritual gift and a desire to minister in that way. And so I hope you're walking down that road. If you need help with that, we'd love to help you with it. But as far as seniors ministry go, I can't leave this open for too much longer. We have to give them an answer. So please let me know if that's, if that's something you're praying about now. And then on the inside, you might have noticed this on your bulletins. Every week we've, not every week, past six weeks or so, we've given you a handout. Each of these handouts is basically a self-examination questionnaire. It's one of the things I really loved about our revival this summer. Those workbooks we bought are just filled with questions to get you to think, to get you to examine. And this one's the same this week on a clear conscience. So make that available to you. Hebrews chapter 10. If you haven't guessed what our topic is today, it is... A clear conscience. A clear conscience. And in Hebrews chapter 10, there's actually, as I did this study, I was a little surprised myself actually how 
frequently the conscience is mentioned in the scriptures. Because our, I think the reason I thought it wasn't mentioned much is because those aren't typically verses that we preach from, I think, that I've heard messages living in church all my life. And on the other hand, I hear it a lot from the world. I hear things about the conscience. You know, the, um, the what did your conscience say to you? And all, all sorts of little connotations and, and meanings like that around the conscience. And it's talked about a lot. But I think it's easy to get, um, honestly, kind of a skewed view of what conscience is because we almost, maybe some of us, anticipate conscience, just that, that innate ability within us to tell right from wrong. And that could be part of it, but that's really just that definition is not complete, and um, it can be kind of confusing, honestly, when you go to a foreign country and somebody will tell you that they believe with all their heart that they ought to give their life in some homicidal act in, in observance of their God, or they ought to do this and this, and they have no doubts about it. I mean, you can't tell in their heart, right? So what does all that mean? Are they just violating their conscience the entire time? What, what is going on? Well, God has some things to say about it, so I hope you'll enjoy this study as much. This is a little on the academic side, but don't fall asleep. You might just need to pinch yourself every once in a while. Every once in a while, you get one of those books, right, that it's not like uh, your favorite fiction novel. It's actually stuff that you need to know, right? And you can kind of, you have to wade through it just a little bit. I'm going to try not to make this too wade-worthy here. Okay, but, but help me. Help me here. Here's a question really to kind of stir our thinking at the beginning. Are you living life, you and I, are we living life with a clear conscience? With a clear conscience. We all have an idea of what clear conscience means, right? But are you living life with a clear conscience? A clear conscience can be so empowering. I mean, living life with no guilt on your shoulders, right? I mean, you're just happy-go-lucky. We have, we have uh, almost, almost always when we think of that, we think of a child, right? Almost always, and there's reasons for that. But we can think of the opposite as well, how debilitating a guilty conscience seems to be. I mean, nobody wants to hang around somebody with a guilty conscience. And it's very visible in some here we are in Hebrews chapter 10 before we get too far into this. Let's go ahead and read our passage for this morning. Hebrews 10 verse 19. Hebrews 10 verse 19. This is one of 28 passages in the New Testament that refer to the conscience. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19. As you know, uh, I'm reading from the King James this morning. All of our cross-references, which there will be quite a few today, will be on the screen behind me just to kind of aid you in our study this morning. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 Having therefore, brethren, boldness, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Would you go to the Lord in prayer with me this morning? Father, There's no fancy prayers needed this morning. We just need you here. We need you to speak to our hearts. We need you to open our eyes to the state of our own conscience. 
Lord, help us to understand ourselves a little better today. Help us to understand those who we have question marks about and what our place is in this world as a believer, Lord. What our place is in this assembly as a believer and how our conscience figures into all of that. Lord, I understand the study of this is more than we can share in 30 or 40 minutes, but Father, would you just point out in each individual life as you're so faithful to do, point out what we need to do about this from us to you and to others. Lord, we love you. We're asking you to be here, to be present, to work in our hearts. In your name I ask, amen. So the word conscience, as I said, 28 times in the New Testament. Forgive me, a little humid in here, or at least for me, I'm flapping my arms like an idiot up here, so <laughs> You'd be, you'd be warm too, maybe. But the word conscience here 28 times in the New Testament. As you know, the New Testament was originally in Greek. Okay, It was not um, given to us by God in English. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it wasn't. In Greek, it's the word synedesis. literally means the self-knowing with. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's, it's this knowledge inside of us that is planted there. Okay, it's inside. You didn't have to learn it necessarily. God gave that to us. And it is something the scriptures talk about. We're not actually going to study that tonight. Uh, you probably will Wednesday night in your fellowship group lesson. But it's this idea of self-awareness that is planted within each and every human being. The word they use here in the New Testament, it originated in Greek culture. A um, theologian and philosopher, Epictus, he gives us some insight into its meaning in their culture, which is helpful since the New Testament was written in Greek. He says, When we were children, our parents handed us over to a nursery slave who should watch over us everywhere, lest harm befall us. But when we were grown up, God hands us over to the conscience implanted in us to protect us. Let us not in any way despise its protection, for should we do so, we shall be both ill-pleasing to God and have our own conscience as an enemy. He goes on, the conscience, like the nursery slave, like that, like that supervisor that's watching over your children, it's a kind of substitute parent. Its inner voice is not by nature the voice of an enemy, not just an instrument producing pain. The conscience, until alienated or separated, is seen as having a positive and protective purpose. It's advisable and possible to stay on good terms with this inner voice your entire life. I think it gives us a little bit of a flavor as we start discussing this. And just, yeah, that was great. Epictus gave us kind of his take on it, and no doubt it was Bible-based. You see a lot of scriptural truth within that. But what is the conscience actually? And let me encourage you, in your Bible studies, do not make as your firm foundation for what you believe what some other man said. As good as that man may be, Take what God said, make your foundation, use what men said to encourage you, to exhort you, to sharpen you, yes, but that cannot be the foundation of what you believe, just what another man said. So if you come upon a word or a verse or a phrase that you don't necessarily understand, the best thing that I've found to do is actually look at other places in the scripture where it's mentioned, and you can get your definition just by seeing the context. In this case, 28 times mentioned in the New Testament, we have so much to feed upon to see what this actually means. That's not always the case. Sometimes you'll come up with a word that's only mentioned once. 
And so honestly, what do you do with that word? Well, to me, you don't base a life doctrine on it if you're not really sure what it means. You spend your whole life studying the scripture and trying to figure out what every word means and what everything God has given to you to mean, and that's part of studying to show thyself approved. But you don't base a life doctrine off of one word that we're not even really sure exactly what it meant. But this is not the case here. We're going to have a great study this morning. What does the Bible actually say about the conscience? And then we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to see in that passage specifically what God tells us to do in having a clear conscience. How do you have a clear conscience? So what is a conscience actually? We have a little bit of a kind of a shotgun Bible study here. Letter A, it is the inner voice that tells us we're wrong when we are confronted with truth. You cannot leave out that last part. It's this inner voice that tells us we're wrong when we're confronted with truth. Now, there's four points to this, okay? So it's not just the first one. Don't, don't, don't say, no, that's not true. So there's four different aspects, okay? This is the first aspect of it. Look in John chapter, and I have scripture for all of this, okay? And there's actually much more than just what I put on it. John chapter 8, he that is without sin among you, now guess where we're at here, it's the woman where they were getting ready to stone her for being caught in adultery. And Jesus stoops down and begins to write in the sand, right? And one by one, everybody left. So here's a little intake on what's happening in the, in the hearts at that moment. Jesus says, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one. Well, what was, what was happening there? There being conviction convicted in their conscience, by their conscience, because right there in their presence, they've been given truth. And whenever we've been given truth, that innate voice that God planted within us, we could call it the law of God written on the tables of our hearts that the scripture talks about, that innate voice either confirms or denies what we just heard. In this case, it confirmed it. Now, maybe nobody else was telling them that, so they come up in their own pride and they want to stone this woman but Jesus presents truth, and the conscience that God created and placed in every creation all of a sudden resonates with that truth. What do they do? They drop their stones, and they leave. So it's that inner voice that tells us we're wrong when we're confronted with truth. But not just that. It's also that inner voice that confirms we're right when presented with truth. There's a couple different aspects of that. It, it assures us we're right when, in what we're doing, and it also assures us that someone else is right in what they're doing. Look at the first one here. So it assures us we're right in what we're doing in Romans chapter 9. Paul says here, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. Well, honestly, many times, how do we know if someone's lying? They have to tell us one way or the other. But how do we know someone's lying if they come up here and stand in this pulpit and tell you something? Well, there's something inside of you that God gives us. If your conscience is healthy and working properly, it will either confirm or deny what I'm saying without you actually even having to study it. Paul says it here, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. He said, my conscience is bearing witness that I am telling you the truth. It's the truth of what I'm telling you and my conscience are agreeing right now that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What did he just say? He said, I am telling you I would give my life and actually go to hell so that you could be saved. And he said, I want you to know that I'm not making that up. That's not being dramatic. My conscience and I agree. 
this is truth, what I'm speaking here. Okay, so that conscience, that assures us uh, when we are presented with truth that we're doing right. He says, my conscience is, is assuring me this, this is right, this is true. But it goes on. It also assures us when somebody else is right in what they're doing. 2 Corinthians 4.2. Paul says here, but we've announced, renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. He's talking about how we, they were coming to the people and sharing truth with them. We've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation or appearance of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul says, I have nothing to hide. I want you to know as I come to you, I lay this right out before you, commending myself before your conscience. So what is he saying? He says, see if your conscience agrees with what we're saying. See if your conscience agrees with how we're living. See if your conscience raises a red flag that something is not right here. And he's saying, I willingly lay my life, the way we are coming to you, the way we're presenting the word, the way I would l willingly lay down my life so that you could be saved, I, I present it to you in the sight of your conscience. See if your conscience denies this. It assures us that someone else is right or wrong in what they're doing. Letter C. It's an inner voice that does not work properly when we are not around truth. And I believe here is the key. And maybe something that can be confusing when we look at all the religions and nationalities in the world. Something that God intended to be a voice of truth can be twisted and can be educated, re-educated to deny the truth that God had originally put in there. And we see that throughout false religion in the world. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, he, he mentions this here. The inner voice does not work properly when we're not around truth. He says, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some, with conscience of the idol unto this hour, eat as it a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So we'll probably do a little bit of study on this on a Wednesday night, but Paul is talking about in the Corinthian culture whether they would eat meat that was offered to idols. Some people were offended by that. Some people thought it's just a dumb idol. Why does it matter if I eat meat that was offered to it? It's not really a god anyways. So it's not sacrilege. But you had two different types of people. that were, Some were offended. Some could have cared less. He said neither of those is wrong. Here's the issue. He says... There is not in every man that knowledge. What knowledge? That these are just dumb idols. Not everybody knows that. Some people have been taught that these idols are real. And they see a person that's a believer eating meat that was given to idols. And he says, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Well, why is their conscience weak? Because it's not around truth. They have not been taught the truth. So that innate knowledge that God gave them originally is starting to be either re-educated or has become weak because it's not sharpened by truth. It's not given a foundation of truth. So conscience, according to the Bible, cannot work properly at times if it's not around truth. Just another reason this is so important. It's just another reason. Lastly, before we get onto the actual message today, letter D the conscience is an inner voice that can be silenced by repeated disobedience to the truth. And again, this all centers around truth and our relationship to it. He says there in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 
Now the Spirit, Holy Spirit right there, capital S, speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. He says there is coming a time in the future where there will be people that depart from the faith. They don't want anything to do with Christianity. They, they give heed. They listen to seducing spirits, to demons, doctrines of devils. They speak lies in hypocrisy. In other words, they speak lies, but they say it's true. He said, how do they do this? Because their conscience is seared with a hot iron. How can they do something so evil? How can they speak a lie and say it's true? And we've, we've heard people do that. And they may even believe it's true. I mean, we can't judge hearts, right? We can only judge our own. He says there is a conscience that is seared with a hot iron. We, we all know that when you sear something, it is very painful at the beginning, but if you sear it long enough, it loses its feeling. And here's the picture here. Our conscience can lose its voice if we repeatedly go against what God is saying. If our conscience is not reinforced with truth, it's not sharpened or built up with truth, it's not uh, educated with truth, it can become weak, it can become defiled, it can even at this point become seared and unfeeling. And then you have somebody that can go out and do something that is just inhuman, it seems. Unfeeling. And you look at a person like that and what they look like, they look cold as ice. Or they have that evil grin on there that just breathes wickedness. How can a, a human created by God be like that? Well, very possibly, their conscience has been seared. It's not even operating anymore. But that wasn't the way God intended it. This is, this is one reason that in children and youth, we see guilty consciences so much. It's not because children and youth are, are uh, bad children or youth. It's because their conscience is still tender. Whereas you and I, we've, we've disobeyed it quite a few times by now. And so we can kind of sit staring at me, or I can stare at you, and I can lie right to your face and say, no, I didn't do that, or no, I didn't think that. Where a kid, I can teach them that, a youth, I can teach them in youth group, and, and what happens? Inevitably, heads start dropping all around the youth room. Why? Because they're feeling guilty. Because they know they did that, and their conscience is talking to them very actively. They haven't reached that point yet to where the conscience, the voice is getting quieter and quieter, or the, the conscience is getting weak from re-education, from lack of truth. That many times takes longer for us as we get into adulthood. And God starts speaking to us with our conscience. And we start making our own plans, our own decisions. We go our own way. And the conscience gets quieter and quieter and quieter. So that's just a little bit of a basic Bible study. I encourage you to do that yourself 28 different times in the New Testament. We'll do a few more on Wednesday night. Uh, try to be with us, 6 o'clock this Wednesday night. But how do I, in Hebrews chapter 10, let's turn back to that. Hebrews chapter 10, how do I maintain a clear conscience? I mean, let's get some practical steps here, right? And the Lord is so good to do that for us. As we turn back to Hebrews chapter 10, I want to give you a little context that's so important so you know that this is not just a little group of verses that we're going to just go and say whatever we want about them. What is the context of Hebrews? Well, it was written to the Hebrews who were the Jews who God had written originally the law on the table of their hearts, 
right? God, or, I'm sorry, God had given them the law originally. It was given to the Hebrews. It had become such a part of their culture and nationality that whether you were a, a believer that was a Hebrew or whether you weren't, it was part of your life. Whether it was from your heart or it wasn't, it was part of your life. You memorized it. You knew it. It was part of the law. Matter of fact, a doctor of the law was somebody really that was kind of almost like one of our modern-day theologians. They knew the law, even though much of the law had been added by man since about that time. It, they knew it backwards and forwards. It had become a whole huge kingdom of self-righteousness and hypocrisy as man tried to take God's law and obey it his own way and clarify some things that maybe God might have missed, as man still does even today. But here we are in Hebrews chapter 10. And I want you to keep your finger right there, go one chapter back, and just give you a little bit of a flavor of, of what he's talking about here in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. Okay? Throughout the entire book of Hebrews, it's a little bit of a deep book, I'll confess. Throughout the entire book of Hebrews, it is the theme, not to put it too simplistically, but that Jesus is better. But Jesus is better than what? Jesus is better than that Old Testament law and everything that God had actually instituted for them to observe in the Old Testament, those are just shadows of what was coming, the one who was coming, the Messiah that was coming, the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the whole world, the Lamb of God that would not any longer require you to go one time a year and to atone for your sins, to be, to be reminded of your sins. Be reminded of the sacrifice needed for your sins. No longer would that be necessary by the complete work of Jesus Christ. We'll see that in point number one. He said, Jesus is better. Why would he need to say that? Well, because these people were steeped in religion. So much more than we are. I mean, we're living in the South, and we hear about Jesus and stuff like that all the time, right? So we are a little bit in that. Not so much in the North, but in the South we are a little bit. But... It was illegal in many ways not to do certain things that were based on the Mosaic law. Okay, there was much more entrenched here in this culture. And he says to Hebrew people that after Jesus had died on the cross, he was, this is not just something they're reading about, something they had either seen, talked with somebody that had seen, or directly heard about it in their lifetime. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who died by crucifixion by the Romans, but actually it was by our people in leadership. They put him to death because the Romans tried to release him, but our people wouldn't let him be released. And all the talk and all the promotion that was going on about that and the dispromotion and the disciples going out and turning the world upside down, this is the time that this was written. And he says, don't go back to that. Don't be tempted by the way you grew up. Don't be tempted by that dead religion, those dead works that you were doing. And there's several letters in the New Testament about this, but Hebrews is specifically on this thread that our high priest, Jesus Christ, came and he removed all that stuff. He removed the need for all that stuff. He is the culmination of everything the Old Testament has talked about up to this point. He's so much better. Don't go back to that. There's no life there. Life is in Jesus Christ. And he says, just to prove his point, in two verses, and we, I mean, it's chapters of this, okay? You have to study it for yourself. But he says in verse number 13 of chapter 9, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, that's a cow, it's the best I understand, Brother Herring could tell us one way or the other, <laughs> sprinkling the unclean, so if the ashes of a heifer, in other words, it's been burnt, just ashes now, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, he says, so 
if those sacrifices, you traveled to Jerusalem every year by law, if those things that you did every year to sprinkling the unclean, sanctifying, purifying yourself, purifying the flesh, he says, if that was actually had any importance whatsoever, verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through, eternal, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. How much more so that, comma, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What was he saying? Well, he refers to the conscience, right? He refers to the searing of the conscience. I'm sorry, sorry. He refers to the purging of the conscience. Well, what does it mean to purge? It means to cleanse very deeply. It's the idea of, of something roughly, it's like those green scouring pads where we're scrubbing and scrubbing. Okay, David refers to it, purge me with hyssop. Take, take that, just soak me everything. I, I want every part of me to be clean. This says your, your consciences need to be purged. And what do they need to be purged from? Dead works. The things you were doing that have absolutely no life-redeeming ability whatsoever. He says, those days are gone. The one that the entire Old Testament talked about has come, and he has died. And he has, through his blood, offered to you a one-time sacrifice. One time. Two chapters out of this, after this, what do we have? The hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And what is it? Faith in what? Faith in him. It's no longer the once-a-year sacrifice, the periodic sacrifices, and I don't have all the sacrifices memorized, um, no longer needed. These people, their consciences had been educated with lies, lies of self-effort, lies of dedication from dead works. That was how they were going to reach God somehow. God uses the writer of Hebrews to tell them, you need to purge that conscience. There's some defiled stuff in there. We see, as we go through chapter 10, verse 19, we just don't have time to go over this. It's very in-depth here. As we go through chapter 10, verse 19, we see some ways that we can maintain a clear conscience. If I was you, I would want to know that. I would want to know what God says, and this is not comprehensive in any way, but according to this passage, there is three ways that we can maintain a clear conscience, and the rest of the study, you'll have to continue with us on Wednesday night or on your own. Or both, that'd be even better. <laughs> a clear conscience comes from obeying the truth. Obeying the truth. Look at chapter 10, verse 19, right where we were there. Chapter 10, verse 19, and we'll move through these points quickly. A clear conscience comes from obeying the truth. Verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, how? By the blood of Jesus. That's important because they couldn't do that before. Now they can by a new and living way, which he, Jesus, hath consecrated for us through the veil. It used to be a veil separating between them and God. They could not get to God. Through the veil, that is to say, his, Jesus's flesh, his body. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What was he saying? Well, that, what is that evil conscience? It's not something you're born with. It is your conscience has been ed educated with lies. 
Your conscience has been educated that there is some sort of merit in these works that you did after Jesus Christ has come and fulfilled all of that. You don't need that any longer, and most of it was just the words of men anyhow. It's just dead works. Who you need now is the Lord Jesus Christ by faith in his name. What does he say here? Clear conscience comes from obeying truth. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. I don't know if you caught it in verse number 19, but he says, having therefore, brethren, boldness. What is boldness? It's that confidence. It's that willingness to step out, maybe when somebody else is not willing to. It's an extra measure of courage. They could not come to God before. There was that veil between them and God in the temple, in the tabernacle. It held back the Holy of Holies where God decided to dwell. Only the high priest, I think it's once a year, you can check that on your own, uh, was allowed beyond that veil. Now that Jesus Christ had torn down that veil, that veil had been his flesh. Now he is giving access to every believer to God. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now things have changed. There should now be a new boldness. He says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You can enter now. You can draw near to God with confidence. Confidence. It used to be boldness based on their dedication to the law and the sacrifices maybe. Uh, now it was confidence because of who Jesus was. Jesus who paid the price once and for all. So what are we talking about? A clear conscience comes from obeying the truth. There is a confidence that comes with each and every one of us if we're living life with a heart and inside that is actually obeying the truth. Our inner voice that God gave us that originally had truth written on it, if we've educated that now by obeying truth, by being around truth, it's giving us accurate readings on what is true and what is not, and we're actually obeying the truth, I mean, we're like on cloud nine. I mean, we're like unstoppable, right? You're having victory in your life. You know what the truth is. You know what you need to do, and you're doing it. I mean, is there any greater confidence that comes to the believer than that? There isn't. There isn't. And think of the opposite. I mean, the opposite is true as well, right? When you're really struggling with something, when you really feel defeated, you've given into that same sin over and over and over again, it seems like. Am I ever going to get victory in this? What happens? Well, you're not out there telling others about Christ, right? You're not volunteering at the church. No, you're not doing this or that. You're not really doing a whole lot of anything. I mean, you're struggling to smile. Why is that? Because that conscience is just heavy. It's guilty. I know my conscience is not clear between me and God. Maybe it's even with other people. Like, you just, there's just somebody in the church that you're just having a hard time with. Well, normally that's because our conscience is not right between us and God. Then we start struggling down here. We're not as patient anymore. Now we're not as long-suffering. Now we're expecting everybody to be like us, act like us, talk like us, get along with us, like everything we like, dislike. You know, it never, ever happens. But it didn't matter before, right? When, when you and I were victorious right here, it didn't really matter what anybody else was doing. Now we're struggling there, so now this is all of a sudden, this is important to us now. We walk around with guilty consciences, and what do we do? Well, we're humans, so we try to cover that up. We try to squelch that voice. I mean, it's not comfortable, right? Nobody enjoys being talked to in a negative way by your conscience. So you're either going to obey and clear it up. You're either going to get those things right and clear up that conscience, or you're going to find ways to silence it because nobody wants to live that way. 
We have a whole list of things to help humanity silence their conscience, help humanity forget, help humanity run. So how do I maintain a clear one? It's not rocket science, honestly. It's just you and I obeying, getting the truth and obeying the truth. There's a list about 12 miles long of what that may mean, right, inside your bulletin here. Not written by me, but it's very helpful, very helpful to maybe get you on that path. A clear conscience comes from obeying the truth. What else? Number two, a clear conscience takes effort on our part. It takes effort. We talked about this at the youth rally last night, just a little bit, or Friday night. But verse 23 there says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. I mean, there is nothing like that guilty conscience that just weighs us down. And it's not just going to eventually, it's not going to be one of those difficult seasons that if we just ignore it long enough, it'll go away. When in actuality, it may go away, but it's not really going away. It's just being silenced. And that's way more dangerous than it going away. You do not want the voice of God's truth that he put in there to be silenced. You don't want that. Sometimes it seems like that's the only thing stopping us sometimes from going down a path that we would go down on our own. He says here the opposite. He said, it takes effort. It's, you know, guilty conscience is like a weight we drag around. So how are we going to hold fast that profession? How are we going to hold fast the, the fact that we say we are Christians? We have professed to have faith. How are we going to hold that fast? Hold fast means to hold on to. It's holding on to something. Um, it, it takes intention. It takes work. He says there, I read this for the teens uh, Friday night, but Paul is saying here before, as he's testifying, he says, herein do I exercise myself. I put the work into this to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. I don't want anything between me and God. Everything's right. Everything's according to truth. I've been obedient I strive to do that. I exercise to do that. It's not just going to happen. And then he says, and towards men. Now that's men, women, children, humanity. I'm striving for that. It takes work. The word exercise there is askeo. It means just simply to practice, to engage, to put it into action. We cannot, you know this already, but we have to remind ourselves, there is nothing about Christianity that can ever be an autopilot scenario. Because the second, the second we leave intention is the second we start sliding back. That's just the way it is because we have sin. We have flesh that is within us. It will always be there. Paul dealt with it. Probably one of the Christians that you and I gained so much inspiration from. It was even in his life constantly. Romans chapter 7. We, we hear other times as well where he labored very vigorously. Very, he said, more abundantly than they all. He knew what he had to do, and it was with much intention. Clear conscience takes effort. A clear conscience, uh, to maintain a clear conscience, we must obey. That, that's no way around that. Clear conscience takes effort. And then lastly, a clear conscience is clearly, no pun intended, clearly put into practice at church. This is not the preacher getting on church attendance. This is God telling you where this is. This is practiced. This is also not God saying it's only practiced at church. But it is definitely practiced at church. Look in verse number 24. 
He says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Well, what, according to this passage, what is the place that God has instituted to be the hub of love and good works? I mean, to be the, the, the central place where this is practiced and acted out. According to this, it is the church. It's the assembling of ourselves together. Remember what the word church means. It means assembly. Ecclesia means just a generic assembly in the context of Christianity. This is an assembly of believers. This is what a church is. It's an assembly of believers. Is there an assembly of believers worldwide? Okay, yeah, sure. I mean, every, every believer that's saved right now on planet Earth is technically the church. I mean, that's, that's kind of theological, but practically speaking, speaking what is the church? I mean, every, every person on the planet that's saved can't have a pastor. Okay, so God instituted certain things in the Bible to show us that a church is practiced locally. It's a local assembly, actually, of people gathering together that believe the same about the Lord Jesus Christ, who are striving to maintain a clear conscience by obeying the truth God has given them in concerning us in Him and concerning us in here, obeying that truth, and then realizing that we have to put the work into that. It's not always going to be easy it cannot just be, I showed up. Isn't that enough? It's not enough. I'm sorry. God says you have to exercise yourself. You have to implement some things that are going to be difficult for you. Why? Because you're a sinner and you're proud and you like to do your own thing and so do I. So God put a conscience in there. If it's educated, and if it's healthy, to tell us, eh, don't do that. No, 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 that's not. Or... He's right, what he's saying up there. You say, well, is that the conscience or is that the Holy Spirit? I mean, you tell me. I don't know. Who's speaking to you right now? All I can tell you is God put a knowledge within you that when he tells us something, that knowledge within you confirms it is true. And it's called your conscience. God gave it to you. It's put into practice at church. Here is interesting, right along those same lines, Paul reminds Timothy, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. So there is actually a behavior that is to be used or obeyed, performed in the house of God. He says, but this is what I want you to see, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Well, so the church is a place where your conscience is to be educated, to be honed, to be fed so it remains healthy. You're taught truth. It is to be the organization on planet Earth that believers can assemble, come together, can have their consciences honed and sharpened and reaffirmed that this is true. God is speaking to me as I'm hearing his word. That is the right thing. I need to implement that in my life. We have practiced that at church. Well, what, there's more things to practice. What does he say? Interestingly enough, in verse 24, he says, and let us consider one another. Well, what's a big thing that we practice at church? How we relate to each other. Did you know a healthy church is not just about sitting and hearing preaching? It is how we relate to the rest of the assembly. There's a whole lot in the New Testament that talks about this. 
over and over and over again. Your spiritual gifts were not given to you so you could enjoy popularity or say, wow, he's really good at that. Or that. What was it for? For the building up of the body. It wasn't even for you. It was for the other people here. So how can you use that spiritual gift that God gave you if you're not here? How can somebody else benefit from the spiritual gift that God gave you to build them up if you're not here? The assembly is to be a place where we are here. We are here. And there's so many ways to look at that and obey that and align your conscience with God to something that he instituted. He says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Well, what does that mean? Well, forsaking is the Greek word enkadalepo. It means to abandon, to desert. It is something intentional. It's not talking about you're sick on Sunday. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about you made a decision to leave. You made a decision, and many times this doesn't happen one weekend, right? Unless you get offended and, and you just won't get that right. But normally it happens over time where we made some small decisions. We, we stopped obeying in some small things, and then what happens? Well, this world system, which is totally, he's very smart, Satan is, been engineering this for thousands of years to get you to go against God, to make it as difficult for you to live as a Christian as he possibly can. And he didn't just come up with it last night. He's been working on it for centuries, for millennium, and without even thinking about it, without even being intentional, we begin to forsake the house of God. And so we forsake the house of God, and what happens? Our consciences cease getting Edified. We try to catch it on the radio. We've been blessed in America, at least, to have some of that on radio or internet. We get a little bit of that, but we're only getting one part of it. We don't get the exhortation from other people. We don't get sharpened from other people. We don't learn how to relate to other people. We don't learn how to lower our pride because we said something we shouldn't have said, and now we have to apologize. That doesn't happen when you're on the radio, right? When you listen to the internet, we lose the relational aspect, which is so important, that God instituted for us to learn how to have relationships. And he says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. He says, some will do that. That's always been true. It was 2,000 years ago, still true today. He says, but, here's the opposite, exhorting one another. And then he says, and lastly, he says, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, so much the more, that's just a figure of speech used back then in that time. He says, if, if this wasn't enough, if just the fact that God put this conscience within you, if just the fact that all those dead works, the things that, that you used to have to do to, to go every year to do the sacrifices and to, to remember your sin, if it wasn't enough that Jesus is now taking care of that, and if you'll come to him through faith in his name, he'll give you victory, he'll purge your conscience, he will bring you back to life. You who are dead in trespasses and sins, he will quicken you, he'll bring you to life. If that wasn't enough, to keep you in the assembly, to keep you behaving how you should towards other people, to keep you um, active. He says, well, so much the more. Just be aware, he says, that Jesus is coming back. That same high priest is coming back. And what do you want to be found doing when he does come back? You know, sometimes we need that encouragement, right? Sometimes we need the encouragement. Mom's coming home. She'll be home in about five minutes or dad, or, or whoever. Well, I'll let your dad take care of this. We need that. I mean, why do parents use that? Because it's effective. 
It's effective because that's, that's how our conscience works. And God put that conscience within there. When we know our Father, there's not one person in this building, including me, if we actually knew God was coming back at 1215. I don't know if you guys would stay here or not. I don't know. Man, I got 12 things I got to take care of in 12 minutes. You know, I don't know, but we would be scrambling big time, that's for sure, right? And thank God for the conscience he put that tells us to do stuff like that, as ridiculous as it makes us look sometimes. How's your conscience this morning? Every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would. There's just a time where we give you a chance to reflect on the truth that God has showed you today. Nobody's looking around. It's a time of, of silence, really, between you and God. Maybe you would be honest this morning and you would say, Pastor Sean, I've, I've never even been saved. I have never had my sins forgiven. I cannot even relate to what you're saying. I've been living a life for however many years, disobeying the conscience that God gave me. This morning, I, I want to be saved. Would you, would you pray for me? Would anybody like that this morning? Just raise your hand. Would you pray for me? I'm not sure that I'm saved this morning. I won't embarrass you, but I just want to pray for you. Would you like that? Pastor Sean, I may need to be saved this morning. Would you pray for me? If you didn't raise your hand and, and you intended to, I'm going to give you another chance this morning. As soon as we stand, I'm going to invite you to leave your pew and just head right to the back. And uh, Pastor Bill and Miss Debbie, I believe, are going to meet you back there and we can show you from the scriptures how you can be saved this morning. Maybe God is talking to believers this morning. No doubt, many of us are believers. Have, have you taken the due diligence to keep that conscience clear? I don't know about you, but many times the temptation for me is, well, I can't think of a verse that says I can't do that, even though on the inside I don't feel right about it. Maybe, maybe it's time we start listening to our conscience. And there may be a time on the opposite side of that, where you're looking at truth straight in the face and it says it's totally fine to do this or that, but yet your conscience is telling you no. Maybe your conscience needs to be re-educated with truth. I don't know where this finds you this morning, but I can tell you in this place is to be the pillar and ground of the truth. We want our consciences to be clear. Maybe you have relational issues within this body. Maybe you've held bitterness for offenses. I don't know. Maybe there's something between you and God that you're not willing to come to him in repentance. I don't know what it is, but you can get that right today. You can get your conscience cleared today. Let's all stand if you would.